0: We'll be looking at uh, chapter eleven and twelve. Eleven is called the disciples' Olympics, and we'll get into that a little bit. What the author has in mind there. Chapter twelve, the disciples' compassion. Now you guys can see that pretty good. All right, I was going to say turn the lights off because I'll have all the scriptures up there, but you guys can see that all right as it is. Yeah, okay. So uh, interesting, the disciples' Olympics. Uh, I like the author's idea here. He kind of went through and pulled out a number of passages out of the New Testament where the Apostle Paul uses kind of a sports analogy to the spiritual walk. And, uh, you know, you can probably think of one or two, but you'd be surprised how many actually there are. I don't know if Paul was a sports fan. I don't know if Paul was obviously familiar with the Olympic Games or something like that. He ministered there, of course, in Athens and Corinth and... They had these types of competitions and games, and there would be uh, rewards and crowns given—you know, perishable crowns, as he would say. But then he would use those as illustrations to talk about spiritual life, spiritual discipline. And uh, what I'd like to do tonight is just, at least in, for chapter 11, is look at these verses, and I'll have them up on the screen for you. And then I just have a few bullets under each uh, portion of the of each each scripture we'll look at, talk about some of those principles. Uh, and then we'll work our way through it into chapter 12. Uh, the first passage is taken out of 1 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, just follow with me as I read. But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise, there's a good word, exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, for to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. So he encourages Timothy to exercise himself spiritually, in the same way that you would exercise physically, and there is some profit in that. He says it profits a little. There's some benefit to physical exercise, we know that, but he says to exercise in godliness is profitable for all things, not only in this life, but for all eternity. And if you think about what it takes to get your body in shape, it takes a little bit of work, doesn't it? It takes a little discipline, it takes a little exercise, kind of, you know, no pain, no gain as they say, right? you got to push through, uh, you know, what, what you'd rather be doing and kind of give time and and effort into this idea of exercising physically and the same principles apply spiritually. Paul is saying, Listen, give yourself in the same way that you would give yourself diligently to uh, get in shape physically, so do that spiritually, because it's going to be a blessing not only in this life, but for everything, your whole your entire life now and to come. And Paul said uh, kind of there in in verse ten, to this end we both labor and suffer reproach. Paul said this is exactly what we are doing. We're, we're laboring, we're even suffering for our efforts in godliness. So you get the idea that Paul is calling Timothy to, to work at this. Now, we know that salvation is not by works. We know that there's no amount of religious ritual or works that in any way uh, you know, enhance our salvation in the sense of us being more righteous before God. That can only come through faith in Jesus Christ, the finished work at the cross. So we're not talking about earning salvation. We're not talking about getting more righteous than than we were before. You can't improve on what Christ has done. You are completely righteous as you stand in Christ. Your sins are completely forgiven. This isn't earning credit. Oh man, I had a bad day yesterday. I'm going to do really work hard at today and kind of balance out what happened yesterday. No, this is about... Disciplining godliness into your life for the blessings and the benefits that come from living for God. This is about fulfilling the the fact that you are saved. You are saved. You're not working to be saved. You're working out because you are saved. Giving, giving Giving place to these things. To this end, he says, we both labor and suffer reproach. And he says, these things command and teach. This is the kind of Christianity that Paul knew. This is the kind of Christianity that Paul taught. And this is the kind of Christianity that Paul encouraged Timothy to teach. That you would exercise yourself in godliness. Looking to, to develop your spiritual life. Looking to be strong in the Lord. Good, good passage. Let's look at this other one. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So a number of things stood out to me there in that passage. Number one, the the exhortation is run to win. (laughs) Don't just get in the race. You know, I'm as long as I'm in the race, you know, run to win. Paul says, "Listen, only one wins." You know, and and that means you got you got to really, you know, there's competition. Now he's not saying that there's competition in our spiritual lives, one with another, but he's trying to draw out this kind of commitment from you. What would it take to win? What would it take to not just compete, but to win? And he's using the analogy of, you know, these athletes that would train and compete for a perishable crown, an earthly reward, a gold medal, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever, you know, the, uh, an NBA ring or, or whatever it is that you know these athletes compete for. And you know that they, you know, they they discipline their bodies. I mean, they are committed to training. Think of Think of the sacrifices that they make. Think of the diligence and the discipline. That's why he says everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. That means you know, moderate in all things. They're careful. They're, they, they, don't, they don't go to excess because they can't afford to sacrifice you know, uh, physical strength or they can't get caught up in uh, certain things that would distract them from their prize, which is to compete, and not just to compete, but to win. So he's trying to call out in, in the Corinthians an attitude that's, you know, if men will give themselves to these things for earthly rewards, uh, ought we not to be given to the things that God has called us to for spiritual, eternal rewards? I mean, you, you hate to think that, that you know, uh, an Olympic athlete would be more diligent in their discipline than a child of God in his I mean, what are they? What, what's the best thing that can happen? They win the gold medal and they become famous. And, but that's just fleeting and passing compared to those things that we have in Christ. And everything that we, have, we can allow God to do in and through our lives produces eternal reward. So Paul is trying to point this out. Run to win, be temperate in all things, discipline your lifestyle. Uh, as a Christian, you know the truth is, guys. Paul would say in some, in other, another place that, you know, we have certain liberties, and although some things, are, you know, you can do, not all things sh- should you do. So there's just this temperate in all things, this idea of uh, allowing the Lord to discipline your lifestyle. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to, to, to say no to some things, to stay away from certain places, to not participate in certain types of entertainment is it worth it oh is that legalism no are you free to in some cases probably but should I well I'm wanting. I'm running to win I'm wanting to my life to be uh, to come into the fullness of what God has Paul says I compete with purpose not with uncertainty I'm not shadow boxing uh, I know what what I'm what I'm running for I know what I'm striving for something of eternal value and I'm focused, I'm disciplined. And I discipline my body, lest having preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He brings it into subjection. He doesn't just let the lusts of his flesh rule and reign his lifestyle. And neither can we. We all have to wrestle all those, those lusts, those desires of the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit. That you cannot do those things that you would or that you might desire in the flesh. The Spirit of God will not allow that. The Spirit of God would restrain that in your heart and in your life. So you see this idea of, you know, Christianity is about really giving yourself completely to what God has called you to and provided. It's not about doing something to earn your, your place with God. That is, that is a gift. Salvation is a gift from God by grace, received through faith. But now that God has brought this life into your heart, now that you are born again, now that your sins are forgiven, that you have this relationship with Him, Paul says, go for it. God's given you all the tools. You, got all the, you have the Holy Spirit. You have His Word. You have a church. You have brothers in the Lord. You have everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness, promises in this life for all eternity. Your sins are forgiven. Your guilt, your shame, nothing can hold you back. Go for it live in the fullness of what God is calling you to and he likens it to a, uh, a competitive athlete that would discipline and train himself for those purposes 2nd Timothy 2 and verse 5 and also if anyone competes in athletics he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules so there are we do have a rule book don't we it's called the, the New Testament we do have Uh, you know a sense of how to compete it's not like god has just left us up to our own devices and ideas about how to live for him he's given us instruction he's given us clear instruction and so paul is saying you know run this race within the teaching and the training that god has given you compete according to the rules sound doctrine know the word that's why it's important for us to study god's word it's the rule book For our Christian journey. It's the principles upon which we can we live out our Christian life. If you don't know the word, you're you're gonna find yourself kind of off track. You know, you're gonna find yourself competing outside the rules. And you know, there's no benefit in that, there's no blessing there. People that get caught up in religious works, they miss the message of grace. And so now they're out there doing all this religious work, and it profits them nothing. Oh, they're they're competing outside the rules. They're doing something that will bring nothing to them spiritually. But oh, they are they're caught up, and because they don't understand grace, they don't understand that God has called them to relationship, not religion. This is what Paul had to fight against in the Galatians. They wanted to they you know somebody to come in and kind of upset them and turn them you know into thinking oh I got to. I've got to keep the laws of Moses, we've got to be circumcised, we've got to keep the Sabbath, we've got to kind of bring in all these rules along with our faith in Christ. Paul said, if you go go back in that, Christ will profit you nothing. If you're trusting in those things outside what Jesus Christ has done, you're going to miss what Christ has for you. Important that we compete according to the rules within the Scripture, within the doctrine that God has given to us. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7. Again, just... Really, uh, a lot of you know, these are good passages for guys, right? I mean, this is really good sports stuff. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. His appearing finishing guys how important it is to finish not just to start not just to start well but to finish and paul is encouraging that and you can you know that's true you know if, if we stay in kind of the, the sport analogy you know that it's it's how you how you finish that matters right you know the first few rounds you dominated but you were down for the count before the fight was over you lost It's about finishing. How you? How you? I've finished. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. So it is something that we start. It is something that we commit our lives to to finish. And there is a reward in Christ, a crown of righteousness. Paul understood that, having lived his life for God, having lived his life. For the calling that he believed Jesus had put his hands on his life to accomplish. He knew at the end come the end of that of his life that there was going to be great reward for him in all eternity. And that is something that we have to keep in our hearts. It is worth it to live for God. It is it will pay not only dividend in this life, there is blessing. Sorry. <laughs> Thought he was coming after me. No. Okay, thank you. I have some here. Thank you, David. My voice must sound a little rough for me. It's worth it to live for the Lord. You won't be disappointed. This life will be better and blessed. It's fruitful. And uh, you probably have some testimonies in the room here. Probably have some uh, testimonies of lives lived on your own, for yourself, by yourself. And you know what that's produced. And you've also tasted a life that you've lived unto the Lord. And you know what that has produced. The fruit of serving God is far better than the fruit of serving sin self. And God has blessing not only in this life, but there are there is promise for eternity. Galatians 5, verse 7. I kind of alluded to this verse a little earlier. He says, "...you ran well." Again, talking about a race. "...who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You started well. You were going. You were running." What happened? Who hindered you? What was it? It didn't come from the Lord. It's not God's fault that you're not going on. It's not what the Lord didn't do for you. You know, you hear that sometimes. People, you know, got, a life will start in the Lord, but then things don't work out the way they had imagined God would, would work it out. or You know, and then and they quit on the Lord. And they blame God. He didn't, you know, I tried Christianity. Or I, you know, I was living for Him and this happened. Why did he allow this in my life? Paul says, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. God is not the author of confusion. God's not the one that is letting you down. In this case of the Galatians, again, it was a deception. It was a certain doctrine that was being introduced into their fellowship. They were being made to believe that Christ was not sufficient for salvation. You needed Christ and works. You needed Christ and certain religious law-keeping. And Paul is saying, you're missing it. Because the moment you stop trusting completely and totally in Christ, you have lost what Christ gives. Because to, to receive the blessing of Jesus and what He has done for you at the cross, you have to trust completely in what He has done. You cannot imagine that you are contributing to it you cannot imagine that you are somehow, uh, you know, helping the work of Christ along. Now, does that mean that you know the, that you will not work out salvation? No, you will, but you're not working for salvation. And that's a very important understanding of, of what Christ has done and standing in the grace of God. That's what gives you the freedom to now serve Him and to live for Him, not out of religious effort or, or duty but because you love Him, and because you're free by the grace of God to serve Him with all your heart. Don't let any deception, don't let compromise, a little leaven, he says, leavens the whole lump. You want to start well, but you want to finish well. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight And the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us what? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross. Despising the shame. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're called to 1st lay aside every weight and sin which he says so easily ensnares us. To run a race, you know, you you don't carry extra baggage. You don't see guys on the track, you know, carrying a suitcase. You know, you you, you lay aside anything that would uh, stop you from being, you know, at your best and competing at your best. Paul's again trying to use that that analogy that get that visual in your mind. In the same way that you don't see runners carrying extra baggage to, when they run a race, so neither should you be carrying baggage that's going to going to hinder your spiritual race. And he says he tells you what it is. It's it's the sin. It's those those things that ensnare you. All those things that you imagine, you know, you can kind of just keep under control. Those secret things. Those little things that, you know, just not that big of a deal. The small foxes, you know, it'll be okay. And you're trying to, you're, you're running a race, but you're bringing things that are going to easily ensnare you, entangle you, trip you up, slow you down. Paul says, don't, don't run the race that way. Set them aside and look to Jesus. Here's a, here's a kind of a key on how to run the race. As you look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, He tells us how Jesus was able to endure the cross, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we look to Jesus, He's the author, He's the finisher of our faith. He's the example. He's the model. He's the pioneer. He's the one that has established the the Christian faith. We understand that he was able to finish his race, which included the cross and the shame of the cross, because of the joy that was set before him. Now, the cross was not the joy. It was the resurrection. It was his faith in knowing what was beyond the cross. Beyond the suffering, he knew that there was resurrection. He knew there was redemption. He knew that there was salvation for mankind. And he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Having finished his race, God hath highly exalted him. And so this is our model. The race gets hard. You come up against things that, you know, you'd rather not live without you come up you know to decisions you'd rather not live with and the race is difficult and it's challenging and it's you know it's easy it'd be easy just to quit or it'd be easy to you know look for a shortcut or or just compromise or just you know not i don't want to go get into i don't want to you know uh become too fanatical for the lord Whatever it is that the, you know, that the Holy Spirit begins to work and discipline into your life, you know there' sometimes we, we, we try and wrestle that off and we need to consider Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured these things. So we need to be, continue to keep your eye on Jesus and keep your eye on what he has promised. He's gone to prepare a place for you. You're going to be with him. A day is coming. It may come sooner than we think. It will come for all. We are all going to to go and be with the Lord. This life is just a passing through to eternity. And it will be worth it in that day. Any suffering, anything that you did today for Christ will be greatly worth it in that day. And so just like an athlete has to, you know, has they have to discipline, you know this. They train sometimes for years in preparation for an event, a race, a day, a day's event. You know these Olympic athletes. They, sometimes they train, you know, their whole young life for one day. That way they will compete. But they have, they have. How do they do it? They have, they have something in focus. They have a prize. They have the, the desire to win and to and to, you know, to receive that reward. And so, the, you know, the, the New Testament calls us to that kind of focus a kind of discipline now again this is not to earn salvation but this is for the disciples of Jesus Christ and boy we need it guys we need men that want to go the distance with God we need men that are that are you know wanting to be all that God has called them to be and and will not compromise and sacrifice anything for that cause And they're not distracted and overwhelmed with their own problems and their own drama and their own issues. Now we all have them. But those things do not they do not weight us down compared to the to the uh, calling of Christ Jesus. This is our last one on this chapter, Philippians chapter three, verse twelve. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on Let that get in your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to to put this in your heart. That you would put the past behind you and that you would press towards this goal. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There is a calling on your life. There is a calling of God upon your life. Every man in this room. There is a call of God. God has laid hold of you in Christ for a reason for a purpose and Paul said that's what I want whatever that is that Christ has laid hold of me for I want to come into it and I'm not there, Paul says I'm not yet arrived but that's what I'm pressing towards, that's what I'm living for, that's where my focus is that's my goal, that's my attention, that's the very focal point of my life it's not, Christ is not just not kind of in the mix of all the other priorities in my life Oh, yeah, he's definitely on my mind on Sundays. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I never miss a Sunday. No, it's your life. It's your life in the workplace, in your home, in the marriage, in the school, in whatever you're doing. Christ has laid hold of you in that place for that, for his purpose. And you're pressing towards it. You're desiring it, forgetting what light lays behind. That goal is what God has created you for. What else could possibly matter? What else could possibly be as important as what the God of the universe has created you for? With specific design, with specific calling and works and, and purpose and destiny. How could you ever do better with your life than what the God who made you has designed for your life? We know that He's good. We know that He loves us. We know that He's true. We know that He's righteous. We know that His promises are, are trustworthy. He's, 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 he's demonstrated His love for us. He's not just sent words of promise, but acted it out at the cross. Nothing, you can never have a, a life that would be worth living compared to the life that Jesus has laid hold of you for. Paul says, press towards it. And I think we could all say, boy, I'm not there, but I want to get there forget those things that are behind, and move forward. Chapter 12. So that was the Disciples' Olympics. That's our training. That's our discipline. Good stuff. Let's talk about the Disciples' compassion. What should be in the heart of the Disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at this. First, Romans 10. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. One of the things that needs to be in the heart of Jesus' disciples is a heart for the lost. Men cannot be saved apart from Jesus Christ. Men cannot know of Jesus Christ unless someone tells them, preaches to them. And if if no one goes, if no one is sent, they will not hear so the compassion within our hearts has to first embrace this truth guys you're living in what may very well be the last generation on planet earth before the return of jesus christ and you may be and i and i don't say this to hype or dramatize i'm telling you I, i mean i'm i'm starting to be very convinced you and I may very well be in the very, very, very last of the last days. What we see going on in the world, what we see going on prophetically, what we see going on in our nation, you and I have been placed in this crossroad of time for such a time as this. You and I are carriers of the only message and truth that can save anybody, anywhere. Nothing else will help. Nothing else will redeem. Nothing else will matter. There are many good causes. There are many good things that you can do and be involved in. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do all those things. But in the end, it is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can rescue a life that is destined for destruction and translate them into a kingdom of life and peace and eternity with God and you and I carry that truth if you know Jesus and you know the gospel you have the message the world needs you have the message that everybody you know needs and a heart of a disciple of Jesus Christ has to allow that priority to come up in your heart in your thinking in your in in the way you're living your life you can't just be a closet christian and have the right heart of a disciple a disciple understands what's at stake a heart of compassion begins to see men in spiritual terms Paul said, we, we no longer know anybody according to the flesh. In other words, we only look at men in two categories. Either they're saved or they're lost. We don't, we don't, we don't care about who they are in the flesh. Oh, he's tall, he's big, he's strong. Oh, he's, he's, awesome. he's this, he's that. Is he saved? If he's not saved, he's lost. This is the dividing line. This, this is the way Paul began to view life. And everybody he met, that was on his mind. This is the heart of the disciple of Jesus Christ. And we as believers, we've got to allow God to burden us with that. You've just got, you know, that's that's what's on his mind. What's on God's mind tonight is saving souls and bringing you and I into maturity that we might be fruitful in the work of the kingdom. And clearly here, we need to be part of the process how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Those are your feet, those are my feet. We need an eye to see. It's the first thing our author points out. Matthew 9.36 Speaking of Jesus, when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. I pray that God would give us eyes to see. I pray that God would give me eyes to see. I I wrote here, you know, putting up the spiritual antenna in your life, looking for the need, looking for the Lord's leading, being aware that you are on mission. You know, it's so easy. (laughs) And I've done it. I still do it from time to time. You know, you just get busy. And, you know, you're just you're just doing things that need to be done. You're at the market, you're getting gas, you're doing the bank, you're running, you know, you're going to work, you're just you're just grinding through. And you're not really, you know, thinking about spiritual things. You're just kind of doing your your life. And if we if we study the life of Jesus, we begin to realize that even in his kind of just day to day living his and his spiritual antenna were always up he was always looking for his father's business wherever he went whether he was resting by a well and a woman began begins to draw out water jesus had his spiritual antenna up and the holy spirit revealed to him this woman's need and he strikes up a conversation with her and she gets saved and then the whole and the, the whole village the whole town comes to hear the gospel it's this this kind of recognizing that you are on mission every day by the power of god and it's opening up your spiritual eyes begin to see people as spiritual importance and value look for opportunities to just witness to pray for people to share the gospel I know it's it's awkward, and you know, gosh, that's going to be weird. I'm going to be this freak, you know. I don't want to just be every time you know I'm in the market handing out tracks or this or that, and I, I don't hand out tracks. Nothing wrong with that. And you know, I don't I don't think that every every you know uh, encounter everywhere you go needs to become this witnessing moment. But I think that you need to have your eyes open and your spiritual antenna up to see what the Lord might do and how the Lord might use you. You know, and, and, and let the Lord speak to you. Eyes that would see. Open your eyes, Jesus would say to his disciples. Look, the fields are white for harvest, a heart to feel. And the thought here is really having the Lord's love down in your heart, and it must come from Him. You cannot muster these things up, they have to come from your relationship with the Lord. Romans 5 5. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God. Has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Also, Titus says that the Holy, concerning the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Paul said, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge this thus, that if one died for all, then all died. Speaking of the gospel and how he was compelled. To take it to his world and to his generation, but this speaks of God's love being poured out in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we we had a I had a we were studying I don't know some Sundays back. I remember ministering on a message that I entitled "The Burden of the Lord," and that was the idea kind of that that God is is infusing something of His heart into yours, and the love that you have been recipient of has actually been poured out in such a way that it would affect you in the way that you relate one to another, in the way that you see the lost, in the way that you begin to just want God to use your life to affect the kingdom. Because His love would begin to compel you. This is what compelled the Apostle Paul, and it comes from the Spirit of God. You know, you might say, you know, I don't, I just don't have it. I don't feel it. I don't really have that kind of burden well it comes from the holy spirit maybe you need to spend some time in prayer maybe you need to ask the lord to infuse those things that are on his heart and make them yours what is your agenda lord that that's really what i want to be my agenda i I want your heart i want the heart of christ and if you look in in the life again the life of jesus so many times it says that he was moved with compassion and he was moved with compassion. In some cases, he wept. In some cases, he stayed long hours and minister because he was moved with compassion. The Apostle Paul says, the love of Christ, that same compassion that Christ had, now was in him, and it was compelling him and moving and stirring him. And this is what we, we need to ask the Lord to infuse into our hearts as well. A heart to feel finally a hand to perform you can look you can read this on your own in Luke chapter 10 the good Samaritan I'm sure heard of that parable wherein Jesus identifies a man who had been robbed and left destitute on the side of the road and these So-called religious passerbys kind of walked across, walked on the other side of the street, so they wouldn't have to deal with this guy's drama and trouble, not get involved. Oh, that's not my problem. But then this uh, Samaritan. Now, in the Jewish culture, the Samaritans were despised. They were, they were the, you know, the half-breeds. They were the northern tribe of Israel that had been compromised. Uh, you know by the assyrians and mingled in with you know they were no longer the pure jewish uh, race no longer the pure people of god and jesus said so when jesus said the, and this samaritan comes by all the jewish listeners thought samaritan oh. and of course he was the one that came alongside and helped this poor man and brought him cleaned him up checked him into the hotel paid his bill blessed him at the end He asks the question, verse 36, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who shows mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. You know, ultimately, our Christianity has to find expression, doesn't it? We can study. It's good. We can know. That's all good. We can even pray and even have our heart filled with a sense of, you know, sincere compassion, but ultimately God is asking us to go and do likewise. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Go. You know, uh, what's that passage in James? Barney quotes it all the time. Be warm and be filled, brother. You know, just you, know, you don't help the guy. You just say, be warm, be filled. You know, God bless you, but no help. You know, uh, the idea is here that you know, ultimately your hand—you know—you got to get your hands dirty. Living for the Lord means helping, means serving, means helping people. It means helping ministries. It it means helping the work of the kingdom. It means coming alongside lives that need help, that need prayer, that need comfort. I like what our author says here, talking about um, a great missionary and how his. Perspective changed. And instead of including God in your plans, allow God to include you in His plans. That's profound, right? We'd like to include God in our plans. We really desire God's help with our plans. We want God to bless our plans. We want, you know, and we think that's very spiritual, right? God, I'm really including you in my plans. You know, but it, it's it, the emphasis, of course, is wrong. It needs to be including our lives into His plan. God has a plan for your life. Surprise! God has the plan. He doesn't need your counsel. He doesn't need our 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 you know our wisdom. God has the plan. The, the calling is not to to wrestle God to your plan. The calling is to surrender your life to His and give it completely to Him. That's what Paul meant when he said, I'm I'm trying to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. I'm trying to get my life in line with His plan. I'm giving myself to Him. Willing to go, but planning to stay versus planning to go, but willing to Day. I would say that defines a lot of us. I, I think that might even describe me in some cases. I'm willing to go, but I'm planning to stay. <laughs> Brother, my heart's with you, but I won't be there. <laughs> right? It's kind of the way I feel sometimes about going to, to India. India is a, a long journey, a tough, tough trip. And uh, Brother Chris, he went with me. He knows it's not an easy, you know, outing. And you know you can kind of wow. I'm willing to go if the Lord calls me. You know I'm willing to do that, but I'm pretty much planning not to ever go. <laughs> that's one perspective. You know, there's there, at least in the heart you kind of would you know you're 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 in line with the idea of going and doing. But that's a different perspective from I'm I'm just planning to go. But if the Lord restrains me, if the Lord has something else in mind, I'm willing to stay. That's just that, a little shift in perspective. And I'm not saying we're all called to India. I'm just saying that we're all called to something. And uh, we need to have a heart that is planning to go, planning to serve, planning to, to, to step out in faith, to be about the Father's business, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. My plans are to go. But I'm willing to stay if the Lord has something else for me. If the Lord wants to redirect me, my heart is open to be redirected. And that needs to come into our hearts, guys. I think as we live in these times, we have to kind of uh, start planning to go. Not just willing to go, but planning to stay. Start planning to go, but willing if the Lord requires to stay looking for ways to serve, looking for ways to get in the game, right? Back to our sports analogy. Get in the race. You know, you can't win if you don't get on the field. You can't even compete if you don't get out there. And don't just get out there and flop around. Go out there to win. Discipline yourself. Do what it takes to be effective in the things of God. And God will meet you there. It's all His work. You know that. It's all the grace of God. But there is a cooperation with that grace. You can quench it. You can stop it. You can hinder it. You can resist it. You can really limit the effect of God's grace in your life. Or you can completely cooperate with it and give your life totally to it. I love Pastor Chuck's, and I'll close with this principle. Pastor Chuck's, um, I've heard him say this a number of times. He he says, you know, God will take you as far as as you will let Him. He'll take you as far as you will allow Him to. He has great things planned for you. That may not be the great things you have planned, but God has a great use and a great purpose and a great destiny and a great calling upon our lives to be fruitful, to be a blessing, to be useful in the kingdom. And He will take you as far down that road as you will allow Him to take you. But so often we resist, so often we limit, so often we negotiate uh, a settlement with Him. And we'll only go so far, we'll only commit so much. So the call tonight is to uh, be completely committed as an athlete would be in their sport. The call tonight is allow the Lord to really stir your heart with His compassion and let Him bring you uh, to his, his desired purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these chapters tonight and speak to our heart. We thank you, Lord, for just these these scriptures. Lord, as men, it, it, it's it's good to hear these passages that talk in the kind of the sport and competition realm. That's something we can relate to. As something that we can understand and, and, and it speaks to our hearts about what you're looking for in disciples. It challenges us. It, it kind of uh, awakens us a little bit. How can we expect to be effective if we don't train? How can we expect to win if we don't apply ourselves? How can we expect to, to be competitive if we're carrying along these entanglements that so easily ensnare us. Lord, I pray that we as men would take seriously this call to be your disciple. We would give ourselves completely to it because, Lord, we know that the time is short and that what we are here for such a time as this. And so I pray that our hearts would also be moved with compassion, by the Holy Spirit, shedding your love abroad in our hearts, infuse us with your heart, infuse us with your agenda, your plans. And God, let our let our cry be: Send us, God. Send me, Lord. As Isaiah, here I am, Lord. Send me. I, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm willing to stay, but I'm planning to go. Sir these things in our heart, Lord. Give us wisdom. And show us those things that you have for us as men in this church, in this fellowship, Lord, that we would lead, that we would be leaders in our homes, in this congregation, that we would be men of prayer and spiritual discipline. And, Lord, that we would be doers, not just hearers of the word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.